electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. It's Jim Cramer here. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Don't miss a minute of the action. Good Friday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with David Faber, Mike Santoli at the New York Stock Exchange. Kramer has the morning off. Futures get a bump this morning from both Tepper and Druckenmiller, who bless this market's momentum, and that's helping us look past a host of downgrades today, some weak reports out of the transports. Europe's rallying about a percent. Housing starts the best monthly print in over a decade and 10-year 183. Our roadmap begins with the resilient rally. Stock set for another higher open as Wall Street looks to close out a record-setting week. Plus, Peacock joins the streaming wars. We'll give you new details on how Comcast's forthcoming platform looks to separate itself from the streaming flock. And joining the Four Comma Club, Alphabet now with a market value of more than a trillion dollars. Top five U.S. tech companies worth a staggering $5.2 trillion altogether, or more than 17% of the S&P 500. All right, so stocks looking to hit some new record highs. We're getting some upbeat news on the economy as housing starts rise in December to their highest level since 06, up 16.9. And just to put that into perspective, we were looking for an increase of just four-tenths. Uh, and amazing uh, statistics, Eve. And then, of course, the commentary from both Tepper and Druckenmiller over the past half hour has done a lot. Yeah, it's all fed in the same direction. Um, I mean, I think we're going to maybe pick apart if weather was a factor in the housing starts and all the rest. But that is when um, the equity futures took another leg higher, when those numbers were reported. It comes after we got some other good housing data this week. Yesterday, retail sales better than expected. It's just become very hard to decide that the headlines are going to get in the way of a market that's been on this autopilot higher. Um, I just think that, you know, the guys like David Tepper and Stan Druckermiller, they know better than to get in the way of a market that seems to be working in a tape that's very, very refreshed every day by really strong credit markets and people feeling a little bit too cautious coming into the year. Um, We're going to reach a limit to this. On every metric, the indexes are very stretched and sentiment is getting a little bit overexcited, but it's been very, very hard to pluck out that point to say, okay, it's, it's, it's done enough in the short term. Heading into earnings season, of course, there was a never-ending chorus of people who come on our air talking about, well, earnings are going to be really important. They're going yeah. to have to justify these multiples. We've only gotten the financials for the most part. What's your sense at this point? Yeah, I mean, I think people are essentially saying, oh, this reminds me of the last three quarters or so where expectations are super low. Every company's got to come out and beat by a lot. Um, the reactions won't necessarily fit, no. and they don't always. Um, but I do think it's sort of enough to keep that storyline intact to say that we are in an improving trend uh, and not otherwise. Now, by the way, uh, we're talking about the top five you know, NASDAQ stocks driving, driving things. It's not about earnings. Not about this quarter's earnings. It's about many, many years' worth of earnings that the market is betting will continue to come through. So it's, it's a short-term, long-term. But, but, you know, the banks didn't hurt in terms of the earnings picture this week. Right. Nothing that, yes, was, nothing not that leading occurred the there. No, they're not leading the way. But nothing that occurred there is going to stop anybody's That's belief right. in the momentum of the overall market or the ability to continue to pay these yeah. prices. We're in the kind of virtuous circle po- point of this rally where it's sort of like everything seems to be working um, and, uh, you know, it's hard to, uh, to decide when it's going to, to overshoot. Now, 
You got some transport needs. I was going to say that um, are not working. CSX volume down seven. They see another challenging year. KSU uh, sees low single digit growth in 2020. Expediters Q4 activity weakened dramatically. How long do we look past week December data, uh, at least in transports, week Q4 data? That's a very good question. How long? Because I do think that the trade agreement, you know, whatever the merits and the substance were, it gave people permission to say, okay, now we can bet on a macro turn. Um, But you have to start to see the macro turn this quarter, probably, in terms of uh, the industrial parts of the economy and the freight moving parts of the economy, I would expect. Interestingly, the sub-indexes of the transports all were trying to do better. You know, they've all kind of tried to pull away. And uh, we'll see if this really sets them back. Yeah. Fastenal, PPG, I mean, none of them are doing, you know, again, the industrial sort of, right. I don't want to call them bellwethers, but certainly reflections of health there, not looking as good. No, they're not. And, um, and I guess you might have an investor say exactly why you buy Apple and Alphabet here. Right. <laughs> and I think that's, it all kind of fits the same story, because if you're not talking about a recession, if you're not talking about an inverted yield curve, if you're not talking about rates going too high to, to compromise valuations, and you're not talking about credit stress... What's your catalyst? So right now, the context is the upside catalyst. It's just like yeah. stuff's working. And, uh, and, and, you know, look, <laughs> we're getting to a point. It looks like January 2018. We're halfway to that gain we had in 2018 in terms of year to date on the S&P. And it got too much uh, at a certain point, And it didn't take a lot in terms of news flow to, to set it back. On the other hand, maybe some of the weaknesses, this Boeing noise, which we're going to get to uh, more, some incremental right. news on BA today. There was China data overnight. Uh, let's get to Eunice Yun in Beijing and go over some of that. Morning, Eunice. Good morning, Carl. So China's economy grew at its slowest pace since 1990, but it did pick up at the end of the year. So growth in 2019 came in at 6.1 percent, Q4 at 6 percent because of the trade war, as well as weaker private consumption. The December data has been raising hopes that the economy here could be bottoming out. The industrial production number blew past expectations. Manufacturing investment came in at 3.1 percent. This was much stronger than the past four months, and that led several research houses to raise their estimates for 2020. Sockgen and Fitch up their estimates to 5.9% growth. Oxford Economics is staying at 6% with an improved outlook. Now, China's leaders have political reasons why they want to see the economy growing at around 6%, uh, mainly because they promised the public here that they're going to double the GDP and incomes from 2010 to 2020. So the Statistics Bureau today said that Beijing would ensure economic growth stays within a, quote, reasonable range and would roll out support measures if necessary. Now, the trade deal is also expected to help stabilize growth. The research firm Capital Economics believes that the tariff relief and reduced tensions will lift GDP by as much as 0.3%. Fitch sees a bump of 0.2%. So that impact might not be as much as people had hoped, but it, it seems to suggest that a lot of the problems of the economy lie elsewhere. In fact, ANZ today said that they're concerned that consumer spending could be a wild card. They're worried that consumers here are going to continue to hold back because of anxiety over the slowdown. David? Eunice, thank you. Uh, Eunice Yoon reporting for us, of course, live from Beijing. Now back to some corporate news. Late yesterday, our parent company Comcast unveiling details regarding Peacock. It's NBC Universal's entry into the so-called streaming wars. The free version of the service is going to launch July 15th consists of 7,500 hours of programming. It is ad-supported, meaning there will be advertisements. The premium service will launch 
in mid-April on a limited basis. It will have a $4.99 a month cost that is with commercials as well. It'll be $9.99 if you don't want any ads. In both cases, subscribers will have access there to about 15,000 hours, and it will obviously increase over time of programming. Yesterday at an event that showcased Peacock, NBC Universal chairman Steve Burke spoke about how the company views the ability to capitalize on streaming. We think there's a clear opportunity to create a streaming platform that we own and operate, that give people what they want when they want it, but allow us to monetize. We also think we're uniquely positioned to take advantage of this opportunity and play a leadership role in the on-demand streaming world. The company has positioned itself, guys, in what they believe is a, a white space, a different area than, of course, the key competition between Netflix and Disney Plus and, and the coming HBO Max and Amazon and others. Um, uh, and not competing against YouTube or Facebook, where they have user-generated content, or even Tubi to a lesser extent Pluto. But this idea of high premium content ad-supported Uh, And really, when you talk to executives, and I did get a chance to talk to Steve Burke and to Brian Roberts, uh, uh, the CEO of um, Comcast, prior to the meeting yesterday, um, in many ways they view the real competitor here as as YouTube. Uh, So much time is spent on YouTube. So much of it is, in fact, spent, they say, with NBC Universal content. Think uh, SNL or even uh, The Tonight Show that has been cut up in parts that really they're not getting any real monetization from. And they would love the opportunity to bring back that content and actually monetize, not to mention, obviously, a very broad portfolio of entertainment, including a bunch of new shows as well, and the ones that you see right there, some of the old uh, favorites from years gone by. Um, That will give them the opportunity, they believe, to sort of benefit in a way. Also pointing to Hulu, where it's the ad-supported part of that service that actually is the most profitable and getting as much as $10 um, uh, in advertising, I think it's per sub. So those are the numbers they're looking at as where they see the opportunity. Yeah, I mean, obviously, and competing with YouTube, obviously, for eyeball hours and the ad dollars that come with it, and it is a different equation from the pure streamers like Netflix, where it's about, well, we've got to constantly have this impression of newness and abundance just to get people to pay the monthly subscription fee, as opposed to we need them to really latch on in, in, in large numbers uh, to, to what we put out there. And so um, yeah, I do think it's, uh, it's fascinating. Plus, the live piece of it, I guess, is There is, is a live aspect element. to it, which is different. Also, I, you know, I thought the, um, it, was, it was impressive in terms of the user experience, and they've gone a bit about it differently as well. Um, you're going to have live and sports, but um, it's not as though I don't believe they're going to be streaming CNBC sure, on the service. Yeah. They're going to be curating sort of towards the bigger stories of the day. But when you go to it, uh, you are going to have that ability to at least look down into a news part of it that invest that that gives you information on the bigger stories of the day. The Olympics will be available on the service, but don't expect the NFL or anything like that. Um, However, who knows where things will go over time uh, as this continues, this platform continues to, uh, to evolve. Yeah. Also, I mean, there's the affiliate relationships you got to remember. If you're able to see Fallon before it airs on television, that's bending the model in ways we have not seen before. That's right. right. And yeah. it, you will be. Eight o'clock is when it's going to be available Eastern time. 
uh, on the service. So yet another reason they hope that they are able to bring what they believe will be as many as 30 to 35 million subscribers by 2024. Remember, the idea is to be break-even by 2024, roughly five years by the end of five years into the service after the service is launched. We've already discussed and they reiterated $2 billion in spend over the next couple of years, programming, marketing, technology obviously being the key part of that. And some new, there will be some new programs there as well. But the idea is not to spend anywhere near and not to get in these wars in terms of content with the likes of a Netflix spending $17 billion or Amazon or, or, uh, or Warner. And it, we will continue to have content produced at NBC Universal that finds its way into other platforms still. Yeah, uh, interesting. A lot of pe- fun with the Peacock theme yeah. uh, in the marketing and jokes that you can finally watch Law and Order 24 right. 7. That's never been possible. Yeah. Uh, when we come back, uh, shares of Microsoft have surged more than 300% since Nadella became CEO six years ago. You'll hear what he told Jim Cramer about fitting climate change into the company's growth strategy. Take a look at the pre market here. Downgrades today of IBM, Southwest, Marriott, eBay, Morgan Stanley, Twitter. We'll get to all of that when we return. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. All right, we got the housing starts number. Let's get industrial production with Rick Santelli. Hey, Rick. Yes, a minus sign, unfortunately, down three-tenths for industrial production for December. So that completes the year. Not necessarily a great year. There was seven negative month-over-month changes, only five positive for the 12 months of 2019. And if we look at utilization rates, 77.0 exactly as expected. 77.0 fits in nicely with Last month, of course, sequentially, it was upgraded to 77.4. But these are all pretty good numbers. Uh, The lowest number of the year was October at 76.6. We have seen rates move up considerably considering how tight the ranges have been, Carl. And a lot of that, of course, happened after more positive data this morning and what's going on globally. David, back to you. Okay, Rick, thank you. Rick Santelli. Well, in his nearly six years as CEO, Satya Nadella has transformed Microsoft. It is now, of course, a trillion-dollar behemoth focused uh, very much so on the cloud. But a new part of the company's strategy for the future involves a goal to be carbon negative by 2030. Last night on Mad Money, Nadella expressed to Jim Cramer his concerns about climate change and how he sees it potentially having an impact on the overall world economy. The science, I think, at this point is very clear. Uh, If the temperatures rise, I think the impact it's going to have on, let's talk about the economy, the economy that we all enjoy or the capitalist system that we all enjoy, I think will fundamentally be in jeopardy if the planet, which is the resource, the factor of production that has fueled all of our capitalist society, will be in danger. So to me, that's the existential priority. It's been quite a week when you think about it, beginning, of course, with that announcement uh, of a fundamental reshaping of finance. Now, some people took it as a lot of talk uh, from BlackRock and its CEO, Larry Fink, but 
I still think it was fairly significant in terms of their spending so much time in his letter to CEOs about how they are going to be focused on companies far beyond the metrics of earnings per share and, and revenues, but including in a significant way their impact and their sustainability goals. And then seeing companies like, like Microsoft come out with very specific plans to become carbon negative by 2030, and this is even more sort of interesting in some ways, remove all the carbon that they've ever put in the atmosphere right. by uh, since 1975, by 2050, yeah. right. which will involve a lot of new technologies that, that they were talking about, some of which exist, others of which are not fully developed, um, afforestation and reforestation, soil carbon sequestration, bioenergy with carbon capture and storage and direct air capture. Right. I don't know. Direct air capture? It's, it's kind of amazing. Carbon out of the air. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's sort of an amazing tiering of, of, of motivations for a lot of this, it would seem. right. One, you take it on face value. It's a principled stand. They think it's the right thing to do. Two, um, dollars are moving in this direction in terms of both younger customers wanting to buy products from, from companies that reflect these uh, principles and also just institutional investors doing it. And, um, you know, I think also there's an employee service aspect to this. You're competing for talent. It seems everything you hear, people under the age of 30 or whatever, want to work for a place that they believe is doing the right thing, and this fits that. It kind of puts that uh, business roundtable shift and what the corporate mission is in general into sharper relief with every incremental move. Pepsi this week, BlackRock you mentioned, Microsoft. You see this uh, Airbnb news that... uh, that uh, Chesky has given to Sorkin, you know? It, the companies are thinking in much different ways. It really, this is, I think this really is, this, I mean, I mentioned it a lot last year, of course, because it did feel like, really, you're starting to see the assets accrete to these kinds of strategies where, so where the money is going to be invested, and the companies are responding. The investors are responding, obviously, in terms of BlackRock and the companies themselves, but, um, you know, they're talking about a 15-metric-ton a fee that they're going to put in place immediately uh, on all scope of one and two emissions, scope three travel emissions. So everybody in the company is going to be thinking about their own carbon footprint. But for a company like Microsoft, it's also about all their vendors and how they're going to be evaluating them and how those vendors go about delivering the service they do in perhaps a much better way in terms of efficiency and lack of carbon footprint. This is having an impact when it must be said our government, of course, is not taking the lead in any way, shape, or form in terms of trying to combat climate change. And we're in a world where the market is giving Microsoft all kinds of credit to do whatever it wants to do because the stock is working and, and right. profits and are Interesting there. to hear Nadella tell Jim that Balmer gave the go-ahead to chase the cloud in many ways, right. which was another good piece of news out of Kramer's incredible week. Uh, stocks aiming for another historic day. Take a look at the futures here. A reminder, you can always catch us live on the go on the CNBC app. Stick around for more Squawk on the Street as we count down to the opening bell in nine minutes. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals 
to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. We are uh, just about seven minutes before the opening bell. Let's bring in Slatestone Wealth Senior Market Strategist and a CNBC contributor, Kenny Polkari. Kenny, good morning. Uh, obviously, you and I, everybody looking at this uh, kind of relentless rally, it's orderly. Uh, it is really not really given a chance of people to buy dips and pullbacks. Only question is, has it stretched a little bit too far or can you bet that it keeps rolling? Listen, I thought it stretched a little bit too far two weeks ago, right? I mean, I've actually been expecting. I thought 3,300 was going to be where we actually hit resistance. We tried it a couple of times. We backed off. And then yesterday, we blasted right through and landed solidly on the other side. And again, this morning, look, the markets are up again. Global markets are up. China came out with a fairly decent report, right? Although they're saying 6.1 is the slowest in 27 years or whatever. The fact is, it is growing at 6.1 in the middle of what was this ongoing trade war crisis that was going to bring the global economy to a halt. It's done nothing like that. Uh, and so now we've got trade 1.0. We've got China growing. We've got US, uh, robust U.S. economic data. You've got great earnings so far. And so, you know, the sky's the limit. Uh, so in other words, you know, a lot of the stuff we were worried about seems like we didn't need to be worried about it. Uh, right now, we're almost up 3% year to date for the S&P 500 if we open right here. Most of the strategists out there were saying, ah, we're probably only good for about a 5 or 8% uh, full year. And we're only two right. weeks in. So what does that mean for the dynamic people trying to either chase it or upgrade where they think this market could go? And also, how do you treat the first pullback whenever it does come? So, so here's what I think, because I'm, I'm in that camp where I really kind of thought this year was going to, if we got a 10 to 12% return all in, right, once you add in dividends, total return, I, I thought that would probably be about where we are. And you're right, we're already up 3%. We're not even done with January yet. We still got another week and a half to go uh, before the month is over. But I think you have to, it depends again on who you are, right? You're the long-term investor, you've got to stick with your plan, right? So whether it's consistent investing, monthly, quarterly, set, however you do it, you should stick with that plan and and eliminate the noise around you. Look, when you, you, you just asked me, we were all concerned about you know, all these issues going forward. But in fact, we were concerned all of 2019 and the market just kept going higher and higher and higher. It never yeah. really pulled back. And it doesn't feel like necessarily today it wants to pull back either. That being said, when the market does pull back, I think there's going to still be plenty of demand. But depending on the speed at which it does, remember, it's all algo driven. So the buy side will, will back off a little bit. They'll let the sell side come in. The market should shake the branches a little bit to get everybody to see where everybody stands. But then I think the market's in a very good place. All right. We'd be in a good place if we shook out a little bit. Kenny, thanks a lot. Good to see you. Yeah, you as well. Shakeout does not look like it's going to happen at the open. Uh, we're looking for some record highs. Opening bells just a few minutes away. Don't go anywhere. You're watching CNBC Squawk on the Street, live from the financial capital of the world. The opening bell in less than a minute. Uh, it's been a Busy week, but uh, we're not slowing down on this Friday. Obviously, commentary out of Druckenmiller and Tepper has helped futures along with housing starts. Uh, we will get to the downgrades, which really have not uh, appeared to be a factor, at least for sentiment at the open. But they do involve uh, some broad names, uh, largely, at least in the case of the IBM downgrade, on the notion that IT budgets remain stretched. Yes, that was the one... 
kind of macro takeaway from some of the downgrades today. And we'll see how that filters through, if at all. If it's just an excuse, you know, to downgrade IBM when it gets up here. So let's get to the opening bell on the S&P 500 at the CNBC Real-Time Exchange. At the big board, it's Phoenix Tree Holdings, or Donka, an apartment rental service provider in China celebrating an IPO. We'll talk to the executive chairman of Stock Alley. At the Nasdaq, Lisha, an interactive audio entertainment platform in China. So on this IBM downgrade, it's Morgan Stanley. They go to equal weight. Uh, their point is IT budgets are under pressure, uh, especially in hardware, because, uh, they argue, companies are still digesting the excess capacity they brought in after tax cuts, after a repatriation, after a deep, uh, asset depreciation. Uh, and that's essentially a share loss story, they argue, in IBM's case. Yes, and the, a particular type of hardware, too. So it does seem as if uh, this is exactly where IBM would be uh, impacted. You see the stock opening up down uh, about 1% right now. Obviously not been one of the leadership. It, this isn't characteristic of a lot of the upgrades and downgrades that are going on now, where I think it's a lot of people just trying to reckon with valuation levels where we've gotten to and either decide to double down or take money off the table. Um, this is interesting, though, because software has been the comeback story within tech as well as semis this year. The rest of it seems to get left out. So, I mean, and semis, of course, is a 5G replenishment type story. Yeah. Of course, uh, IBM, just one of the big names we're going to get next week, along with the Netflixes of the world, a bunch of airlines, our own parent Comcast, P&G. But for the time being, IBM's the uh, big laggard on the Dow, along with uh, UNH. The other one is, is airlines and we're still wading through a bunch of airline news regarding Boeing. A uh, story on our website from Leslie Joseph Street still trying to come to terms with what additional write-downs may be. Uh, this line out of B of A today, we are increasingly fielding concerns from investors regarding the likelihood that the MAX never returns yeah. to service. I mean, I think that's always been the, the real kind of shadow over this whole story is, is it a, basically a lost generation for Boeing? Um, don't know that yet. I don't think you can kind of say that. But, the, you know, airlines, patients being tried, um, them figuring out their capacity situation at this point in the cycle. And all of it fits together. It's a little bit of pressure on that area. And it's, it's again, all the more reason where investment dollars seem to feel like it's just less difficult to buy the obvious stuff. And I don't think that can go forever, but the obvious stuff being the NASDAQ 100, which is dominated by four or five names. It is stunning, though, uh, to look at those four or five names, or at least a few of them. We have three companies now that are above a trillion trillion dollars in market cap. Apple, obviously, the leader, Alphabet, uh, and Microsoft. I mean, Apple's market cap is now a trillion plus more than an Exxon Mobil. Yeah. Above, In fact, I mean, I can remember a time when ExxonMobil was the most highly valued company or sure. certainly amongst the top two. Oh, wait. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, or top, three. Yeah. I mean, the numbers are extraordinary. This move up in Alphabet approaching 10%, Mike, just yeah. this year. It lagged a bit last year. The, the, the dollar values are alarming. And I mean, obviously, you get a little bit of a of a sticker shock. I do think it makes sense to anchor it somewhere. So these companies... Um, the, the top three companies, let's call them, right? The top three trillion dollar companies, about 3.7 trillion in aggregate market value. Yeah. This year, they'll have 140 to 150 billion in net income. It's 25 times earnings for this block of three trillion dollars. Okay. Is that insane? Does it make sense to the, the most profitable the, companies the blended, in the history of the what's world? What's the blended growth rate too? I don't. Yeah, even I mean know it's double digits. Three. Yeah, I mean, you know, Alphabet insanely still grows close to 20 percent at its size. 
Um, now, if you go back, so Microsoft is twice the market cap it was at the peak in 99. So it was $600 billion back then. It's about $1.2 yeah, trillion right now. it's making a lot more. It's making way more than... Four times four, more. Right. So it's, it's twice the size, making four times the money. So when, when do we tip into crazy from just aggressive and complacent? I don't know what that, what that point is. So that, that, to me, sets the scene for... Will you send me a memo when you do know what yeah, the point is? Yeah, okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it on the calendar. Well, just keep it quiet. Yeah, yeah. of course. Um, but yeah, so when, when to get off the horse in, uh, in, in David Tepper terms. Right, yeah. exactly. Uh, and by the way, Tepper, as a credit guy, you know, used to be mostly a credit yeah. guy. If you're staring at high-yield bonds in aggregate yielding 5%, I don't know if I have something to worry about until that gets disturbed. Listen, also, so much of it comes back to rates and just where yeah. we are and where uh, you can yeah. actually get a return. I mean, it's, it's fairly simple. Druckenmiller has been uh, notably bearish in past years. 2015, he issued a big warning about the future. Uh, he does seem to pin a lot of his hopes on the idea that Trump gets reelected. Right. And, um, I, no, I, you know, and Druckenmiller, though, to his credit, too, even when he was kind of bearish and not, not sure about policy, he said, own disruptive tech. And that goes back years, where he was kind of barbelling things. Um, but I do think he's correct that this leg of the rally has coincided with the betting markets raising the probabilities of, of President Trump getting reelected. You can't kind of, you know, say that's the, the, the main factor, but it's, it's part of the atmosphere that is driving this market, without a doubt. Uh, we don't want to toot our own horns too much, David, but Comcast all-time high. Uh, it's been a while since we've been able to say that. It, it is, uh, yeah. And again, back to market values, $215-plus billion. Not that far away from Verizon any longer, at least within sight, which uh, is always an interesting comparison. But a positive reaction to the unveiling of the company's Peacock streaming services. We, as we tried to say, and of course, as they spent a lot of time, the executives of the company saying yesterday, uh, trying to differentiate itself from so many of the services that are already out there by having really what they expect will be the most popular part of the service being free. Uh, 7,500 hours of programming there, but free, five minutes of ad load an hour, by the way, which is low, certainly given our viewers know uh, what typical advertising is in a given hour of television programming. Um, and so that's their expectation and hope. They believe that there is a great deal of demand for digital advertising dollars. Linda Yaccarino, who runs ad sales for uh, the company, made a presentation during yesterday as well. Uh, and I've heard numbers as high as they think they could sell $5 billion of digital ads versus the billion that we sell right now. Yeah, that's an interesting part. The idea that what you're doing is creating digital ad inventory that didn't exist before in a quasi-linear TV way. And Yeah, and so that's kind of uh, an interesting element of it. And actually, it mirrors what happened parts of the, the, the dot-com boom when newspapers were going online. They said, well, we can't keep up with the inventory. Uh, it didn't work for newspapers, but it worked for the overall digital ad economy. Right. Now, and the question is, how much of that will actually just come from things like YouTube, where shows are watched, where parts of shows are watched, and where, frankly, the monetization for the creator of that content, NBC Universal, is not really being paid? Uh, also, I mean, you can't discount the legacy. Uh, notoriety and built-in awareness of a name like uh, HBO or Comcast because reports today that Facebook is retrenching on some of their scripted shows. It's just very difficult uh, to get these shows 
uh, get consumers familiar with them, uh, even despite the cost. Right. Yeah, well, it, even even the even the whole flap over oh Netflix is losing the Office and Friends. Um, there may never be shows like that again, right. where you have that kind of that many episodes, that much popular recognition. Um, and here we have Law and Order trying so, to get in that league. Yeah, every every one of these has their tent pole, so to speak. Law and Order, certainly yeah. that franchise for uh, for Disney, The Simpsons, the ability to watch what is it thirty plus 30, seasons, yeah, 30 of seasons of The Simpsons. Uh, and things of that nature. Yeah. Really quick on the Fed, we got a couple nominations out of the White House yesterday. Judy Shelton among them got this 20-year bond out of Treasury to help finance what we know are uh, yeah. ongoing deficits. This debate now, Kashkari is uh, tweeting about how it's not QE. Yeah. Uh, the conspiracists who think that this market is pivoting upon right. QE. That's going to mean and repo. Right. Yeah. When when the Fed decides to step back, if they ever do, sure. That what's the market going to do then? I mean, if the market's at a point where it's looking for a reason to say, okay, we've done enough, then it matters. Um, I, I do think it's, you have to keep going back to the idea that this market was up 25% off the low in October when the repo stuff started. Um, it's up 11% since, and we also got the trade stuff in there as well. So a lot of people want to connect a lot of the dots. And uh, I don't think, you know, if people think it matters, it matters. But I don't think that there's a way to draw a true liquidity um, pipeline from one into equities. Your point, though, is people believe it is. So then, then it doesn't hurt. Right. Um, but by the way, people believe the trade deal, that all it did is remove a friction point that was imposed on the market. It didn't get you forward, really in any material way in the, in the horizon that the markets typically care about. A um, couple of the stocks we should mention this morning. The Gap, we haven't mentioned the decision uh, to no longer split the company. Yeah. Uh, interesting in, the, in, in that. Uh, you know, a lot of shareholders were scratching their head for some time. Uh, shares of GPS of the Gap, I think, are up a bit. Well, nope, actually not, not doing much right now. Um, did, the, did that news come out yesterday before the close? No, I think it was after the it was last okay. Yeah, it was okay. I wasn't sure. So if it was sort of unwound. Been, wanted yeah. to make sure if there'd been a reaction. And finally, I did want to mention Dave and Buster's. It's small. So obviously, people know it in part because they they've been there. But uh, KKR files with a six point three percent of position. And the total purchase price there of that position, given the market cap, is about seventy seven million dollars. But what's interesting, uh, along with the sixteen percent increase in the stock price is that KKR does, in the language of their 13D, say that they certainly will consider taking actions concerning any extraordinary corporate transactions, including but not limited to a merger, reorganization, liquidation, sale or transfer of material amount of assets, change in the board of directors and management. It reads like an activist 13D. Uh, I called KKR because they don't engage in activism. They were famous for never engaging in what they would call a hostile. Right. I'll take it for what it is. Stock's up a lot. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, after some, it's been some challenging days for Dave and Buster's yes. past couple of quarters. Let's get to Seema and see what's moving on the floor. Dow's up 18. Hi, Seema. Yeah, up 18 for the Dow, led by technology. In fact, global markets ending the week on a high note, Carl. Japan and South Korea both closing at a 15-month high. Europe right now is at a record high, looking at the stock 600. They're up about 1%. All of this following China's GDP, uh, holding on to a 6% level. Yet another sign of stabilization in the world's second largest economy. We're also watching the home builders at this hour. 
hour after a blowaway housing starts number. The home builders have been outperforming the S&P over the past year. Earnings now will take in focus for Lennar Pulte Group among uh, some of these other home builders. Turning to CSX and earnings, the railroad's operator uh, revenue decreased 8% year over year in the fourth quarter, driven by a double-digit decline in coal exports. The coal industry has been under pressure in the face of lower-cost natural gas and concerns over emissions, and that's pushed a lot of utilities to retire coal plants in the U.S. and seek cheaper renewable power alternatives. And even with trade tensions easing, CSX on the call saying that it, it took industrial activity a while to cool off and will take a while to heat back up. That stock down right now. Finally, we've got an IPO here on the floor today. Phoenix Tree Holdings, one of China's largest co-living platforms, which renovates and subleases apartments, pricing a downsized IPO at $13.50 a share. That was well below the expected range of $14.50 to $16.50 and offering 9.6 million shares down from its original 10.6 million. Remember, Chinese issuers have had a tough year, so we'll see how things shape up in 2020 now with a trade truce, at least for the moment. Guys, Dow currently up 17. Back to you. Seema, thank you. Seema Modi on the floor. Let's uh, head over to the bond pits now. Check in with Rick Santelli at the CME Group in Chicago. Rick. Morning, David. You know, there's a lot of issues that seem to bug investors lately. Of course, the level of stocks is not one of them, but the level of rates is. Why haven't rates followed stocks more closely? Many times rates correlate with stocks. Rates go up when things are good and stock market goes up. This time, not so much, but it's really sparking to the data today. Look at a two-day chart of two-year note yields. The reason I put it two-day is we had spectacular data today, especially on housing, 13-year best in terms of housing starts, and it popped up right up to yesterday's highs, basically, right up to unchanged, 157. It's not 156. It's down one on the week. It's down one on the day because it closed at both at 157. Now, as you move to the longer end, which is really more economically driven, short ends more hampered by where the Fed is with regard to policy, you see the 10-year not only challenged yesterday, it popped straight through. It's now at 183, up two on the day, up one on the week. And it is getting a nice bounce off of it. You see on the next chart, the early December lows, six-week lows that we had on a closing basis the day before yesterday. Finally, the dollar index. Like treasuries, today, yesterday's close and the weekly close last Friday are about the same. So dollar index is up a smidge on the day and a smidge on the week. Mike, back to you. Rick, thank you very much. And when we return, Comcast shares hitting a new record high. We'll get Wall Street's perspective on our parents' launch of Peacock and what it means for the streaming landscape. Let's walk on the street. We'll be right back. Shares of Comcast, uh, as we mentioned uh, shortly ago, hitting what are all-time highs this morning. The company, of course, revealing new details about the forthcoming streaming platform. We, as in Comcast and NBC Universal, are calling Peacock. Yesterday, the service uh, will launch. It will launch for, by the way, Comcast subscribers on April 15th. Uh, nationwide, though, not until the middle of July. There will be a free ad-supported option as well as two premium pricing tiers. Here's NBC Universal CEO Jeff Shell yesterday about the company's streaming content investment. I'm pretty confident when you combine all of this content with our proven ability to market and launch new products with Symphony. And then what I think is a really smart strategy of taking light advertising and bundling to create this unbelievable experience free for consumers. This is going to be a very successful product and is going to be one of the key elements of growth for NBC Universal going forward. 
All right, let's get some reaction from uh, the street, many of whom were in attendance yesterday. Rosenblatt Securities' Bernie McTurnan. Bernie McTurnan is here uh, with us, and Cowan's Greg Williams also joins us. Bernie, let me start with you. What do you think in terms of them trying to carve out at least this, this idea that they're not competing necessarily with all the current streamers, but in a different area given the ad support and free nature of the service? And that's certainly the case. We walked away more supportive of the service than we did walking in. Because first, they're partnering with other cable companies, so Peacock Premium, 24 million subscribers in the U.S. will have access to the service for free, given another 16 million with Charter coming on board. And then we also think there's a high floor for the service, too, because only $2.5 billion of OPEX commitment for 2024. That compares to Disney Plus at $4.5 billion. And Netflix, $17 billion next year, maybe going to, you know, who knows how high. Uh, but then a lower ceiling as well, because right now it doesn't seem like it's going to be global in nature. So only 30 to 35 million subscribers by 20 to 24. Yeah. Um, Gregory, give me the, your perspective, particularly from the financial side. Bernie mentioned, obviously, some of the metrics there. 30 to 35 million subs is what they're hoping for within, let's call it, four to five years when they get to break even. Is that something that makes sense to you? Are you concerned at all about the spend? Sure. Um, I think that the break-even is very doable. Uh, 30 to 35 million subscribers is very doable, especially if it's free. Uh, it's going to be an advertising-driven model for a lot of the segment. Um, it's going to be about monetizing that advertising a little bit higher than, say, Hulu does, um, because they said 6 to $7 ARPUs, um, but it's only going to be five minutes of advertising. So they're going to need to do really good targeted advertising in order to get a higher CPM. Um, as far as the financials and overall picture, they said a lot of that in December already. $2 billion investment over the next two years, break in 2024. So not a lot of things that would move the stock necessarily um, in the next two days uh, because a lot of that information is already well known. Bernie, a big question with uh, a lot of these new entries in streaming is how much of it is a zero-sum game? How much of the new business is really just going to be trying to cover for what's being lost on the traditional side? For Comcast, how does that shake through the model? Well, that's certainly the big question is how much more cord cutting will this inspire? So with media companies, you can extend your reach, and that's why you want to go direct to consumer. But how much are you going to cannibalize the existing part of the business? Um, for the cable side of the house, they only make a 30% margin on video. So it's really, you know, broadband share gains is still a great story for the company going forward. You know, Greg, on that point, I mean, we're looking at new highs in, in Comcast. I believe you have a hold on the stock. Peacock is an important initiative. It's going to be taking some money. Uh, but what is your overall take right now in terms of where the company is, in terms of the value that the market is ascribing to it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Last year, the company performed pretty much in line with the S&P 500. We accept the similar performance in 2020, um, this first half of the year. Peacock is really not going to be that catalyst. As of yesterday, we know that what we're going to get with Peacock. So now they're focusing on uh, the other investors. Investors are worried a little bit about Sky. Investors are uh, uh, you know, looking at the mobile um, venture they're going into. And, of course, the healthy broadband market in the U.S. and Comcast's ability to take advantage of that, which we're bullish on. But... Um, these are the focuses now, and Peacock is now uh, sort of, I don't want to say an afterthought, but now we can move that aside and focus on, on Sky and mobile. Bernie, what are you going to be looking for in terms of penetration of the service once it gets going? Are metrics going to become important here? Yeah, and so a key question coming out of this is, are we already at peak uh, number of subscribers getting Peacock Premium for free because we know video subscribers are going to keep going down and broadband-only subs are going up. But what will that attach rate be of flex boxes? Because right now you only get the service for free if you're a Comcast video customer or Cox video customer and you have the flex service with uh, broadband-only. So how, you know, with services like Roku out there, how will they make sure that uh, flex is an important part of that broadband-only household? And taken all together, does it 
do anything to mute Netflix's domestic subscribership, or where does it play for Netflix? Yeah, that's a great question. I think the biggest impact will be on pricing power. You know, with Disney Plus coming in at a lower price than expected, same with Apple TV Plus, Peacock for free to 24, maybe going to 40 million customers over time. That next big price increase could be a long ways off for Netflix, at least domestic. Are you in the school that Netflix does need to have some ad-supported, lower-priced product? I think it's going to be tough for them, too, because it would be admitting defeat. Well, that the, I, it would be a new turn, no doubt. Exactly. Um, we have a neutral rating on the stock, $265 price arc, so we expect revenue growth to substantially decelerate from 29% growth last year to 23% going to high teens. And because of that, we're putting a four and a half times revenue multiple on uh, 2021 revenue and get to a 265 target. No doubt it is a different marketplace uh, this year than it was even a year ago in exactly. terms and of who's out there for Netflix. One of the, one of the secret that. sauces for Netflix was their distribution. And now that distribution, IP streaming direct-to-consumer, that's now everyone can do it. It's Now it's content that matters the most. Uh, Bernie, uh, Greg, thanks to you both. Thank you. Thank you. Be sure to check out our podcast. Uh, listen to the opening bell hour of Squawk on the Street wherever you get them. Dow up 32 and the S&P... 3322. We're less than 600 points from Dow 30K. Let's take a look at the NASDAQ 100's best performers since the beginning of the year. Tesla at the top of the list with a 21% gain. Over 12 months, 46%. Over six months, 100% gain on Tesla. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career, so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu.